0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wonky Cast. On this week's show is a recording of our interview with Shauna Maguire that we recorded at EasterCon a couple of months ago. We should have a review of one of Shauna's books coming out on the site soon, as Emma's been reading that and has been writing a review for it. So keep an eye out for that coming up soon. Don't forget we've got our new YouTube channel now, where you can catch all the latest episodes of the Wonky Cast, Nerd vs World, the Wonky Gamer Cast, and much more on there, including some exclusive videos from MTM. So go along and subscribe to that. Just a quick heads up of some things we've got coming up in the next couple of months. We will be at Nine Worlds uh, at the first weekend of August. I will be taking part in the second annual podcast games there. So come along and cheer me on as I uh, nerd out with my fellow podcasters. And also we've been invited to go and do some interviews at Kaleidacon, which is a new con starting in October. Uh, So check out their website at collidercon.org for what that's all about. And in the meanwhile, here is our interview with Shauna Maguire. Enjoy. <laughs>
1: Emma, you are Spindles? I am Spindles, yes. Okay, uh, that's right.
0: Yeah, it's a nickname that's stuck since I was a teenager.
1: It's fine. Um, I went to school with a girl that we all called Rumor. No one actually remembers her original name. And uh, she wound up naming her first daughter Whisper. Ah, cool. Because she's just gone consistently by Rumor since then. So, Wow. yeah. It happens. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's, so, I, was, I was taller and there was a lot less, well I wasn't taller, I was the same height but there was a lot less of me, so I was speaking. That's
1: reasonable, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm and it's nice to meet you both. Nice to
0: meet you too. So yeah, welcome, welcome to the, the podcast. But the way this normally works is I'll record a bit uh, at home, which will be the the, the, the lead into this and then right, we'll right. at some point just during the conversation. So. Okay, cool. If, if that's all cool. Mm, that's all brilliant. Lovely. Okay, now the first thing I want to ask you about, because this is something I've only just been introduced to this weekend, which is filk. Mm-hmm. This is the first time I've come across this. This well, is an awesome thing. It's
1: a. It's been around a long time. Yeah. Filk is the folk music of science fiction and fantasy. Yeah, And it's it's a big deal. I, I can't mean, believe I've
0: not heard of it before. I,
1: it does tend to get shunted into side rooms, and, and so if you're not looking for it, it's just a weird word in the program, like, hmm. why is this here? But filk is, is big. We have conventions all over the world. Ah, uh, there are two that regularly happen in Germany. There are two that regularly happen in the U.K. Uh, there's at least one in Canada. they are all over the U.S. There is usually a folk and music program at a large convention, and and yeah, it's it's really nice because it's a really welcoming environment that is also semi-professional. Mm. So you get folks that will do, did you come to the concert last night? Uh,
0: no, we didn't unfortunately, so, we, we, we were interviewing Jim I think at the oh, time, right. so.
1: Um, so if you had come, you would have found that we, we had two basically professional level, gigging level bands. Mm. Full on instrumentation, orchestration, know what they're doing, sound amazing. You would hand a CD of that to a friend of yours and not feel like they were going to think you were odd. Um, but we also have a huge community of happy amateurs that have no interest in doing that. And if the two of you were to show up at a folk circle and just be like, we want to sing this, the theme from the Lego movie, uh, acapella, and without knowing the name of anyone in this room, everyone would cheer and join in on the chorus. It, it
0: totally sounds like the sort of thing we do, because we did a lot of folk festivals, where i just yeah, turn up with a guitar and we it, just it's go. It's a
1: lot like coming to a folk club. Yeah, um, And it's it's lovely. It's a community. It's a family. Um, you can buy the professional quality filk on CD and have it to enjoy. Um, you can, we have people that just take recordings of the filk circles and will record forever. And that was kind of my, my home in fandom for a very long time. That's where I started at was, was in filk. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I love them. They're my friends and they're my family and they're good people.
0: Excellent. So is that something that you still do a lot while you're doing these kind of
1: conventions? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's ac- I didn't sing this time because I hurt my throat. Hmm. Um, I had an allergic reaction to the cleaning products in the San Francisco Airport International de- <laughs> yeah. Departures Terminal. So my pl- I was there four hours early uh, and then my plane was delayed an hour. So I sat for five hours in a departures terminal that was making me actively cough. And I asked them at one point, you know, can I go somewhere else? And they said, well, we're only going to broadcast the boarding announcements in your direct gate. We we can't put you anywhere else and have someone come to get you. Mm-hmm. So um, I couldn't sing last night. But it's very unusual for me not to sing at a large convention. Because I, I have fans that are Filkers and Filkers that are fans. Mm-hmm. And also because, you know, you just heard a Filk. Filk is... Filk is quite large, but is still easy to overlook if it's not a thing that's intersected with you. And yeah. what we have found is that people who are fans of my books will go, wait, she's giving a concert, what the hell? And they'll show up for the concert, and that can be a good introduction to filk yeah. that mm-hmm. they'll enjoy and, and let them kind of get an idea of what we do. Um, I sound awful right now, but I assure you I have a lovely singing voice when I have not been coughing for a solid week. Yeah, so I think the closest
0: I have skirted to it, and that was, it was only, again, the other week was Steel Span. Span. Who recorded an album in collaboration with Terry Pratchett and they released that last year.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I love Steel Ice fan. they make me very happy.
0: Yeah, because they're there at the Sci Fi Weekend when we were there about two, three weeks ago, something like that. Yeah, so,
1: so like I did a concert at Lawn Con when the World Con was in mm. London last year, um, and and that was fun because Filk, is, Filk is, is still a small enough community that you actually can depend on merit itself. Mm-hmm. If you are good, you do not need to tell anyone, hey, I'm good. People will just notice. Yeah. Uh, word of mouth works. And because of that, Filk has a strong cultural tendency toward tall poppy syndrome. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't put yourself above others. Don't stick your head up. Don't brag about yourself too much. And that's great because it is a small community. I think it would become super toxic mm-hmm. if people were too aggressive in their self-promotion um but when i when loncon asked me if i would do a concert i said sure i would love that and then they said we're gonna put you in one of the big program rooms and i was like wait what no no don't don't do that i want to be in the room that all the concerts are in Mm. Mm-hmm. I I don't want to fe- I don't want anyone to look at me and think I'm putting on airs even if I didn't ask for it you'll always have the person who just looks at it and goes oh so and so thinks they're better than us and so I was going no please don't please just put me in a normal room and they wouldn't do that and they finally um agreed to put the people before me in the room so we had a nice little concert block and and put me in the big room and we completely overflowed the big room oh, that's because a f- the average run on a Filk album is 1,000 units because that's the standard run for self-reproduced CDs. Yeah. And yeah. Filk albums are... We, we don't have record labels. We do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. My first CD was called Pretty Little Dead Girl. And it had a run of 1,000. And it took four years to sell out, maybe five. Mm-hmm. And it is sold out now. It's gone. Rosemary and Rue, which was my first book as a completely unknown author, sold more than 1,000 copies in its first week. Wow. So Filk is a large Fanish community, but the difference in scale between all the Filkers in the world and all the people who've read my books is immense. It sounds like the kind of thing that you go
0: along and you do rather than necessarily just the, the, the thing that you take over and listen to all the
1: time. Yeah, I mean some people are fans of, are just fans of filk. We have mm. listeners, we have people who collect CDs but don't like to come to Circle, don't like to hear it live. Mm. Um, a lot of my fans have bought both my CDs and the CDs of other filkers that I have recommended because they find they like the music mm. even though they're not a part of the fandom or the culture um but so a lot of those folks were at lawn con and went oh let's go see her concert it would have been a nightmare if we had tried to cram them all in the small filk room so yes. i'm really glad that they were able to pressure me into it yeah and, but it kind of
0: raised the profile like
1: then yeah. it raised the profile mm. a bit though oh the filk organizers were thrilled oh, because <laughs> it meant that that all these people got exposed mm. to filk and if you love it you want to share it yeah that that's how we tend to be so that was super fun uh, And it was a good concert we did a good show
0: Okay, changing tack slightly. So, there's something that has that has come out of, of your listening to your panels over this weekend is you seem to have this this glee about the potential for world-ending viruses and bacteria.
1: Yep. We're now, all going to die. Where,
0: where does this where, where did this come from?
1: I was sick a lot as a kid. Um, so my understanding of the English medical system is naturally the understanding of someone who is not a part of the English medical system. But it is my understanding that in England, even if you're poor, if your kids get sick, you can go to the doctor, yeah? Yes. Yeah. yeah. that's not how it works in America. Um, we were incredibly intensely poor. We were below the poverty line. Um, we had a year when I was in school where all the other kids called me Stinky Shannon uh, because my mother had to choose between buying deodorant for her 12-year-old or asthma medication for her Mm 5-year-old. And that meant that if you got sick, there was huge resistance against going to the doctor. We were poor enough that Medicare would cover the doctor's visit, but it didn't necessarily cover the medication that you needed to get better. And if it's $400 to get the pink stuff that'll make your ear infection go away you don't necessarily get to have your ear infection go away. Mm. Um, I was really, really susceptible to strep throat for a while. Uh, so if it if it showed up at my school, even if it was on the other side of the building in a completely different grade, we knew I would have strep inside of the week. That was, mm-hmm. that was just how it worked. Um, there were a couple points where we thought I was going to die just because I would have these cascades of illnesses and we needed me to get sick enough to be hospitalized if we wanted the medication to be paid for. If we hit the point where I was taken to the emergency room and they put me in hospital, then everything would be covered by Medicare. But if I was well enough that my mother could take me home, we, we couldn't afford whatever I needed. Mm-hmm. So my choices were either become a germaphobe and, and never go outside again or kind of fall in love with the idea of viruses and bacteria and the fact that, that no matter how awesome we think we are, it doesn't even take a cell to kill us. Uh, and, and so I love viruses. I, they, I find them fascinating, and I really enjoy studying how they move through populations. But it's also a bit of schadenfreude is, is mm. possibly the best way I can put it. Americans especially, and, and now we'll speak from the American perspective because I don't know how it would work over here. Americans especially are very big on my freedom trumps everything my freedom 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 Which is why we don't respect quarantine in America. You know you you have things like a doctor who to be fair to her a little bit knew she had not actually been exposed to Ebola. She was aware that she was clean, but she had accepted a voluntary quarantine because they thought she might have been exposed. She had announced in public that she was under a voluntary quarantine, then went out in public and was surprised when she lost her job. A couple years ago, we had a man with uh, totally drug-resistant tuberculosis fly from Europe to America, knowing that he had totally drug-resistant tuberculosis, no breathing mask, because he didn't want people to treat him funny, just sitting and breathing into the air on a plane with other people. Do you know what totally drug-resistant tuberculosis is? It is totally drug-resistant tuberculosis. It'll just kill the shit out of you. Like, we're moving back toward the sanitariums coming in because there will be no place else to put these people who have just through no fault of their own become a permanent danger to others Mm. you know quarantine is not i am taking away your freedom because i don't like your politics it's not i am taking away your freedom because i don't approve of your clothing it's i am temporarily restricting your movements so that you don't kill other people Now, things like what Chris Christie just did in New Jersey, he's the governor of New Jersey, and he enforced a quarantine in inhumane conditions. That's what people are afraid of, right? They're afraid that I'm going to say, sorry, the wrong person breathed near you. And so you're going to be sleeping in a tent on the lawn with armed guards around you for a week. And that is terrible. That is a horrifying thought. So I I, I understand the fear of quarantine, but it's still important. The American sick leave system enforces this. You know, most restaurants and food service places don't have paid sick leave. And since most of America is under what's called at-will employment, you can be fired for calling in sick. So something like 30% of food-based illnesses every year come from the fact that we have servers in restaurants who have to come to work with blazing illnesses Mm -hmm. if they don't want to lose their jobs. And if you're a server at Applebee's... You can't afford to lose your job. You're already getting paid below minimum wage in many states because we're a tipping-based economy. You know, this is not, oh, those horrible, unclean, awful poor people. Um, the poor people are not at fault in this scenario. You can't help getting sick. This is, oh, those horrible, awful, no-good corporations that say we would rather fire you than give you sick leave.
2: Definitely. So, I mean, I know exactly what it's like when, you, when I used to work in, in London, and... Uh, if somebody's decided to tough it out and they're gonna come on, on the train mm-hmm. with their germs and it's circulating in the air for 45 minutes, yeah. And same on an airplane circulating yeah. air. I've gotten then sick. Then you're going to get yeah. ill. And that year I had so many colds. Oh yeah,
1: I've gotten sick so much less since I stopped having to ride the train twice a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had an incident just a couple months ago where someone who knew he had measles, knew he was infectious, wore long-sleeved shirts and rode the main transit system in my hometown during rush hour for three days before he got caught because he didn't want to spend his sick time. Because most American companies have tied sick time and vacation time. You don't get 10 sick days, 10 vacation days. You get 20 PTO days, and they get spent for both. Um, And so, you know, why would I want to spend my going on a ski vacation time on this silly little cold? Couple that to the anti-vaccination movement, which... Uh, you know, talk about unpopular opinions and how you're supposed to try not to be controversial and all of that. I don't care. Anti vaccination is child abuse. Mm. Yes, um, sorry, I agree. and it's elder abuse. There are people in this world who cannot be vaccinated. My cousin Laura is allergic to eggs, and most common vaccines are still grown in egg protein. Mm. So she can't be vaccinated unless she gets the name brand vaccine that's not in eggs and takes a covered by your insurance shot to a $300 shot. She, she's not going to do that unless there's an active risk. Um, my friend Jay Lake, whom we lost just last year, uh, had cancer, he was immunosuppressed. If he had needed a vaccination during that time, he would not have been able to get it. So those people need the rest of us to be keeping up our vaccines to protect them.
2: It only takes a, a small percentage of people not to be vaccinated. To erode mm-hmm. herd
1: immunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the fact that the anti-vaccine movement is growing the way it is, is child abuse, is horrifying, and is also ableist in a fascinating way. Um, I am not autistic, but I have obsessive compulsive disorder. I was diagnosed with OCD when I was a child. Mm -hmm. OCD is considered to be part of the autism spectrum of diseases. So, these are people who look at their children and look at someone like me or look at someone like my friend Mandy who is autistic and is quite happy and has a, a happy family and a career and all of that, they look at people like us and say, I would rather my child were dead than turn out like you. It's not even proved. That, well, there, there, there is no correlation. The there is absolutely no correlation between autism and vaccination, but parents want there to be a correlation. People want to have a reason a thing happen. People really... humans. We strongly yearn for correlation, which is why you have things like, don't step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back, and, and people developing yeah, genuine... So just yeah, seven. you you make stuff up. Yeah, you make stuff <laughs> up. Um, you know, one of the most dangerous types of intrusive thought that OCD people have to deal with is that we form correlation very quickly and very strongly. So if I say I must knock on the door frame before I enter the room or something bad will happen and I forget to knock on the doorframe, the next bad thing that happened will reinforce Mm -hmm. that I have to knock, I have to knock, it has to happen. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone who desperately wants correlation, going, well, my child started showing signs of autism after I had them vaccinated, clearly it was the vaccine, I can understand why you would go there. You are wrong. Autism is genetic, it is already there, it is just that the brain starts hitting those pathways and activating those channels around the same age that we start giving vaccination. There's no connection. It's been disproven so many times. But when you're desperate for an answer and you're desperate for an explanation, I can see why you would cease on that. I I just find it to be a profound failure of empathy that people would say, I would rather my autistic child had been, were dead of measles than having been vaccinated. I would rather kill your child with measles than risk vaccinating my child. Cause it's not just your child you're risking, it's everyone. Mm. Yeah. So do you think
0: it, that that's kind of put you in a position of wanting to try and educate people through
1: what you write? A bit, but I've always wanted to do that. I want people to understand. The trouble with things like anti-vax is that we have have hard data showing that when you bring facts to someone who has a factually inaccurate belief, you just reinforce that factually inaccurate belief. They feel attacked. Mm. They feel like you are personally going at their beliefs. So sitting down with an actual anti-vaxxer and saying let's talk about the science is actually just a good way to piss me off mm-hmm. and reinforce that anti-vaxxer's belief that they are being persecuted and thus they must be on to something. Mm. You know, it, there's this weird idea that you can't be persecuted for something that is untrue.
0: Yeah, well, but in terms of wrapping it in a metaphor and then presenting oh, it Oh, absolutely,
1: to but I've I've always done that. I'm going to keep doing that. I talk a lot about the importance of quarantine Even knowing that quarantining yourself is impossible for many Americans. Mm. Um, We lose more work in America every year due to something called presenteeism, Mm -hmm. which is where I come to work sick, than due to absenteeism. If I'm sick and I need two days off, you lose 100% of my work for two days. If I'm sick and I should take two days off, but I come to work anyway, you're going to lose 50% of my work for four days because I'm ill okay, that comes out to the same, right? Still just 100% of one person's work for two days, except I've given it to both of you. Yeah. So now we have lost 600% of a day rather than the 200 that we could have lost by keeping me home.
2: Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, And it is a problem with the system and, and yeah. the way that America rules work, say, as according to um, England. Yeah.
1: So. And it's a problem we've built into the system because I think that folks are more inclined to abuse sick time now because it's tied to your vacation time. Mm. If I say it's PTO, well, then I'm much more likely if I didn't get permission for a vacation, but I want one to call in and go, <laughs> mm-hmm. so sick, than I would have been when it was sick time and I recognized that as a separate block that I really, really needed.
2: What's really strange is, is it seems the American hatred and distrust um, of bringing in a healthcare system by Obama, but it's you to be really quite angry about it.
1: Well, it's a, it's a combination of a couple of things. Um, first off, the way that Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, came in, it does cost you money. Mm-hmm we've sold the idea of the welfare queen you, you can't hear the finger quotes for those of you on the recording mm-hmm. but we've sold that idea much harder in america than than has been sold in england and yet even in england uh this morning i went to the petrol station to get some soda and there was a front page thing about greedy welfare cheat taking ten pound vacation in vegas and how she enjoys 36 thousand pounds a year in benefits and i'm like well okay This is so devoid of context. I can understand how this statement would make people angry. You know, if you're getting £36,000 a year for free and I'm getting nothing, why are you taking a £10,000 vacation? Is she paying for it herself? You know, is someone paying for it for her? Has she put aside five quid a month for the last 20 years? Has she won the lottery? Did she sell a kidney? You can't afford to support a family and this also says that she's got 12 children which is like you've probably made this up but for a moment we'll pretend there's a woman with 11 children who gets 36,000 pounds a year who is going on a 10,000 pound vacation to Vegas you can't feed 11 children on 26,000 pounds it cannot be done Mm -hmm. like not for a year not for well probably for a month but but not for that long um for anyone in America that's getting the equivalent about 45,000 dollars a year uh, you, you can't do it. I live in California. $45,000 a year is below the poverty line for a family of three. Yeah, And she ostensibly lives in London. So someone's got to be helping her. She's got to be getting child support or something that is not on top of those benefits. You know, her actual financials cannot be what is stated on the front page, or it would actually be single mother of 11 starves to death after receiving only 36,000 pounds a year. <laughs>
2: It's very twisted,
1: isn't it, in the way that it's presented? It is.
0: Well, unfortunately, at the moment, the the context of it is we're in the run-up to an election, so everyone's coming out with horrible things about what the current government has done, etc.
1: You also get that about so-called disability theft. Um, This is the second convention in two years that I've been able to do entirely on foot. Mm. I developed a problem with my left foot. My plantar fascia tendon ossified and turned into a new bone. Yeah, it was great. I won the lottery, 2% of cases, that happens. But when that happens, you're basically stabbing the inside of your foot every time you take a step. So how it would work is every night I would sleep and I would get up in the morning and my step counter would have reset and I would have X number of steps for the day. I had no way of knowing how many steps X was. It could be anywhere between 1,000 and 10,000 and there was no warning because you're stabbing yourself, so there's gonna come a point where you break through into the muscle and it would literally be I would take a step and I'd be fine, I'd take another step and I'd be on the ground screaming. So I had an invisible disability for two years, which is only now getting better, which meant that you could see me walking perfectly normally and an hour later see me in a wheelchair. Mm. And if you weren't with me for that whole time or hadn't had the disability explained, you might think I was lazy. And in fact, I had a couple people accuse me of that, like you're just being lazy because I I, I like to get, if I have to get an assistance vehicle, I prefer to get a self-motorized scooter because I'm not in a wheelchair 24 hours a day, so I don't have the upper body strength of a full-time wheelchair user, which would mean that one of my friends had to give up their convention to push me around, Mm -hmm. you know, or the con had to assign someone. I, I hate being a burden. It's a thing I genuinely dread. So I would get a power chair to be able to drive myself. Unfortunately, power chairs, it's much easier to say, oh, that person's just lazy. Oh, they just don't want to walk. And I hate that attitude. I I loathe and abhor it. Um, Someone would see me walk normally, or I would drive the power chair up and then walk normally onto the stage. Oh, clearly she's malingering. I'm I'm not. I have a very limited number of steps for the day, and I would like to save them for getting on and off stages. I'd like to save them for the things where I can't avoid using them. So I see all of these things about watch for disability cheats. It's you know. the
2: same with MS. I mean, yeah. I work with people who, who do use a chair and walk, um, and you can't physically see it. It's not something that you MS isn't something that you can yeah. physically see. Yeah. So you know you you do tend to have issues with it, and especially with them. I think a vast majority of people with MS are, are often accused of being drunk.
1: Yep, of being drunk or of or being welfare cheats. Yeah. And so in America, the idea of Obamacare being free for those welfare cheats but costing me the good, hardworking American taxpayer money is horrifying. Yeah. The also, a lot of conservatives in America, when they talk about socialized medicine, so Canada or the UK as are the ones that really get held up, They always say money can't buy you love and money won't solve all your problems, and yet America is really built on the idea that money will solve all your problems. And frequently it's the person telling you that money won't (laughs) solve all your problems that is using money to solve all their problems. Um, In America, if I had enough money, I could walk into any doctor in the world and be like, I want surgery. I want elective surgery. Let's I, I have decided I don't like my boobs. I would like them to be bigger or smaller or on my back or whatever. I can walk into any doctor and it'll just be done. It'll just be handled. Fixed, yay, because I have money. Yes. Once we bring in a socialized healthcare system, if I can convince them that the boobs are medically necessary in some way. So if I was a trans uh, if I was a trans woman who wanted to have breast implants for my own mental well-being, um, or if I had breasts so large I needed them to be reduced for the sake of my health, mm. then the government would pay for my boob job. But I would have to wait because it's an elective surgery. It's not life-threatening. And the idea of having to wait is very upsetting to some Americans. Um, you see a lot of it at Disneyland, interestingly. Yes. Um, I love Disney. I'm a Disney annual pass, theme po- annual pass holder. I, I go all the time. They recently revamped the way that disability access works. Uh, because they had done an overall study of the disability access system, there there had been a, a a news article claiming that rich New York parents were renting disabled children. They would take disabled they they would pay disabled children to go with them to Disney World so that they could cut and go to the front of the line, and not have to wait in the queue. That's
2: horrific.
1: Are you kidding? I was a poor kid. I'd have broken my own leg with a sledgehammer if someone was willing to take me to Disney World and just needed me to be in a wheelchair. Like, there's a certain element of, on the one hand, it's horrific. But on the other hand, if everything is getting paid for for this kid, and you're a poor enough kid that your parents are willing to send you to Disney World under these circumstances, who the hell is losing, right? You get a free trip to Disney World. You get taken care of. They're not going to take a kid with a life-threatening with a life-threatening disability unless they've also brought their parents. So now maybe your parents are getting a free. You're a hero, <laughs> and a couple people get to cut a line. But yes. this this made the paper and became a huge public relations stink. Disney did a whole study of their disability access, and they found that at most two percent of people were abusing the system. And that's usually what we find when we when we examine any benefit system is that two percent of people are abusing the system, mm-hmm. which is another way of saying humans are humans. Yes. Um, so they've completely revamped the disability access, made it much less convenient, made it, made it much harder for parents with children with certain kinds of disabilities to do Disney.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, like I, I know a parent who has two autistic children who don't stand still very well, and one of whom is just autistic and like is profoundly uh, non-functional in a lot of situations. And she doesn't comprehend lines. It's not a matter of my kid has no impulse control or my kid's being a jerk. It's a matter of the kid really doesn't understand at all Mm -hmm. how she can see Snow White and other people can go to Snow White, but she has to just stand here. She feels like she's being punished. It used to be they could get a card and they could go to the back entrance of the ride and the ride attendants would look and they'd get to go ahead. Mm -hmm. Now they, they have to go through a different queue. On the one hand... Yes, that means that they get special privileges over children that do not have a disability. On the other hand, the children who have a disability can enjoy Disneyland without those special privileges. Mm -hmm. And everyone should be able to enjoy Disney. Mm -hmm. The reason this is relevant is that Disney has always had a docent service. It is advertised on their website. You can look it up $500 an hour. They will walk you to the head of every line. You can skip the queue completely for $500 an hour. No one's objected to that. Mm -hmm. No one's raised a stink over that. And that's because at least in America, everyone aspires to someday be rich. Everyone Mm -hmm. believes that one day the American dream will come for them and they will be rich. But no one aspires to be disabled. No one Mm -hmm. aspires to be sick. And so we feel very comfortable punishing the sick and disabled for being something we don't want to be while continuing to aspire toward a level of richness that is being used to punish us right now. This is the most depressing interview ever. <laughs> uh, nice.
0: It's fascinating, though.
1: Like, yay, rabbits.
0: <laughs> it is actually fascinating. Um, but, well, anyways, to, to go on to something that is slightly lighter. Yeah. Uh,
1: something
0: that you mentioned earlier in one of the panels was uh, the Amazon serials indexing. Yeah. And this is something that I, I've, I've not heard about this, so, I again, can you fill us in on, on um, So, on basically,
1: uh, the the Arne Thompson Index to Motifs in Fairy Tales and Folklore is a real book uh, that has been revised and updated over the years, that sits down and goes, okay, how many fairy tales have a family member being transformed into an animal? Well, we're gonna put those all under one tail type. How many fairy tales are about a persecuted heroine? We're going to put them all under one tail type. Uh, the index is six volumes long. There is an index to the index. It's that big. <laughs> I, I own one. Oh, it's the most expensive book I ever bought. I had been looking for it for years and a couple of years ago, the state folklorist of Minnesota retired and I was doing a convention in Minnesota in like a month and we called, uh, we found out that she had donated her collection or sold her collection to be, to be resold to a bookstore called Makers and Quinn in St. Paul. And we called them and said, do you, do you have her ATI? And they were like, yes, we have that. And I'm going, how much is it? four hundred dollars okay hold it for me i will be right there and and it was it was four hundred dollars and i don't regret a penny it is the most i have ever spent on a book i, I oh do you know the comic fables by bill yes, willingham I do indeed. Yeah, it's an excellent um movie. so i know bill he he is an acquaintance of mine and uh he and i were chatting at one of his comic-con parties um actually in july of that same year mm. and uh He asks, you know, we're we're talking, and and I was a folklore major at UC Berkeley, and and he's really into folklore. And he says, so you know the Arn Thompson Index, right? And I'm like, yeah, I I know the ATI. And he goes, so did you know that the state folklorist of Minnesota recently retired? He lives in Minnesota. And I said, yeah, I I know that, actually. And he goes, some out-of-town bitch (laughs) swept in and sharked her Arn Thompson Index while I was out of town. And I'm like, really? And he says, yeah, I'm so pissed. And I said, I'm the out-of-town bitch. (laughs) So now, if, if we're at a convention together, or, or especially if we're on the same panel, uh, he will regularly tell people to go rob my house for him. <laughs> like just go get, go get the books, go get the books. Uh, indexing is a uh, procedural type thing. It's like a Criminal Minds or a Law and Order, uh, where the issue is that fairy tales are real. We have given them mimetic force. We have given them power by repeating them over and over. And they keep trying to force themselves on reality as we know it today. So you'll have a kid and the kid will have skin as white as snow and hair as black as coal and you, you need to watch for apples. Most people don't know that fairy tales are out there, uh, not because we are attempting Have you read Charlie Strauss's The Laundry? You know how we don't tell people Cthulhu is real because we don't want them to speed up Nightmare Green? That's why. You tell most people fairy tales are real, fairy tales are great, and, and people go, really? Let's make fairy tales happen. Fairy tales don't give a shit how many people die in the process of the prince and princess getting a happy ending. And what's really interesting is that's why they keep the fairy tales secret and try to squash them. I've had a couple reviewers that have gone, I didn't like this book because it made the fairy tales the bad guys. And I'm like, that is why we don't tell you this is really happening. And the Amazon Serials program, uh, which published the first volume and is publishing the second volume, basically do books and installments. So it is 12 installments to make up a book. It, the serials part is only available in North America right now. Uh, But the collected book, the the collected indexing, Volume 1 is available in the UK now, and uh, since it's through Amazon, which has a publishing arm here in the UK, there's no import fees or anything, which is great, and Volume 2 will be available after the serial has completed and and been wrapped up, and and I love it, it makes me very happy. Awesome, yeah, well
0: look, uh, I think, uh, when you were talking about it, there was a cartoon that Megan used to watch, which was really little, called Fairy Tale Police Department, I don't know if you've ever come across I, I have that one. not. It's one that we picked up in a random bookstore somewhere. It's awesome. like six, six DVDs with like two or three episodes per DVD, and, and it's their job to enforce fairy tale law. Awesome. It's uh, yeah, <laughs> very cool. We'll try and check that one out if you can. Um, so, uh, I guess just to finish up, because we're, we're going to run out of parking very soon. Uh, Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, have you come across the uh, things gi- giant plush
1: microbes? Yes, I own quite a few of them. Yeah, so people do I. People just send them to me. It's <laughs> splendid. Um, sometimes I wish people would send me a couple fewer. <laughs> I have so many Ebola. Because I, right now, this is an awkward statement because right now Ebola is killing people. Yeah. Yeah. I love Ebola, I do. I don't love that it's killing people. I really don't love the sheer amount of racism that it brought out in the American oh, public. Yeah. Like, I find it fascinating that a country which has a strong anti-vaccination movement and is thus experience a is experiencing a resurgence of measles would get shitty about Ebola, which is hard to catch. Like, it's super fatal. Mm but it's so you have to lick people almost if you're not a medical worker. Most of the people who have caught Ebola were either medical workers or were directly physically caring for the sick people or were preparing their bodies like there's fluid transfer. I could have Ebola right now and neither of you would be in danger because you have not licked me. Um but I still love Ebola as a disease. I find the mechanism of its transmission fascinating. I find the disease itself fascinating. The history of our relationship to Ebola is fascinating. You know, everything about it fascinates me, but I'm not being as enthusiastic about it right now Mm. as I normally would because that's not kind to the people who are actually dealing with and dying of Ebola. You should not be passionate about your snake while it is swallowing someone's child. Mm. Um, But, yeah, so I I have a lot of them. People send me a lot of them.
0: We were first introduced to them when uh, someone gave Emma
1: syphilis at the office Christmas party. That's nice. (laughs) That's the best way to get syphilis at a Christmas party. (laughs) Yeah. So you have lots of Ebola and lots of black death. Too. Lots of Ebola. Lots of your Yersinia pestis. Your Yersinia pestis I do not agree with as the causative agent of the black death in Europe. Um, they yes. market it as the black death, but I don't think it's the black death. It's just Y pestis. It's a very nice little bubonic plague. It hangs out. It looks cute. And it's
2: fluffy.
1: It is fluffy.
0: <laughs> cool. So final bits of uh, forthcoming work. Oh, gosh. Just to to get plugs in.
1: Uh, Forthcoming work. It's not quite April 7th, so Rolling in the Deep from Mira Grant is coming from Subterranean Press on April 7th. um, And that is Scientifically Accurate Abyssopelagic Mermaids. Okay. Um, And uh, then in September, uh, A Red Rose Chain, which is the ninth October day book, will be coming out. I highly recommend starting with Rosemary and Rue, which is the first October day book as number nine might be a tiny bit confusing, <laughs> just a little. Uh, and then in November Chimera, which is the third of the parasitology books will be coming out from orbit under the name Mira Grant. And that will wrap up the parasitology books. So if you've been putting off reading those cause you wanted a complete story, now is your time. Buy my books, feed my cats, um, they really, they're big. I have big cats. They will eat me. Well, they, so we they, it <laughs> they, they will, like, my cats are huge. My cats will just totally devour me if people don't help me feed them. So <laughs> buy my books, feed my cats is my rallying cry.
0: Lovely. Well, thank you. For, I, I could actually sit and talk to you all day because you are a fascinating person to talk
1: to. You guys are both lovely, but I don't want your car to get towed. Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah indeed. Yeah, I love that when you got up on stage earlier and you went. It's a bit like a Q&A. It's a bit like an evening with Kevin Smith. I was like, how oh, marvelous. I love evening with Kevin Smith.
1: Oh, yeah. We, we usually it is very rare for one of my in-conversation panels to be before the watershed. <laughs> Hence the Pokemon um,
0: references.
1: Yeah, normally it actually will say in the program book when, when we're in an American convention it'll say in the program book uh, will contain language, will contain lots of language, will contain things you may not want to explain to your small child uh, and that's important because if we put that in the program book, if the disclaimer is there then people can't really yeah, complain can't to the convention about it later. Uh, yeah. well, they will whinge about it oh, yeah, but they, they don't, will. Yeah. it's not you know we talk about anti harassment policies at conventions and how important it is to create a safe space mm. that's part of creating a safe space mm. i can do a panel where i had someone once ask me to rattle off as many curse words as i could think of in alphabetical order and i did it mm. and that was fine that was not creating an unsafe space because we had established up front yeah. what would be happening the in that room the, the rules were there rules and and that's happened. really the importance yeah, is yeah, the absolutely. rules uh, but they get filthy normally they are very evening with with cat when especially when you have me and cat valenti on the same stage which is like it's an evening with kevin smith with tits on and uh we get horrible and it's wonderful and i'm glad you enjoyed it yeah it was an excellent panel so thank you very much for that and and again thank you for this you're very welcome thank you guys have fun
2: Fucking gun!